Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Lake of the Ozarks message podcast. Our prayer and desire as you listen to today's message is that it would be an encouragement and challenge in your walk and relationship with Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at ccloto.org or download our app in your app store today. Now, let's jump into today's message together. So if you would, please turn to 3 John. It's easier, actually, if you start. Look at that. I opened right up to 3 John. Sorry, that was exciting for me. I guess nobody else cares. That was cool. There's 66 books. Okay, whatever. And so open up. It sometimes might be easier to open up at the back of your Bible and just work forward the other way. And so 3 John, finishing this little series of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. John, again, just thank you so much last week uh, to be filling the pulpit for us. One of the things that I was intentionally trying to do, and it was actually really hard for me, I was like, all right, Sean, I want you to preach because I want to see how everything else kind of flows and operates. Like, I have to take off that preaching hat a little bit, and I still need to lead the organization. And so I was just literally standing around, and I was so, it was so difficult because I wanted to, like, oh, no, I can do that, or I can do this. And it's like, no, 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 I need to step back and just watch. And so I really do appreciate the time that you gave to see that. And just to say publicly, we really do have a great team here at Calvary with the staff and key leaders that we have that uh, for me just to see, hey, how does everything operate when, when I'm not there? It really does run very smoothly, and that's just we have a great staff and a great group of key leaders that just, hey, this is my church, this is what God is doing, and I want to be about the work of God, and so I just really want to say thank you for that. So didn't see any big uh, holes or anything that is happening that is going on, nothing that's going to sink the ship. I think God really is protecting uh, his body here, and he's doing a work, so love that. Third John, verse 1, the elder to the beloved Gaius, who I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. And I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God, and whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you, 
the friends greet you, greet the friends each by name. I kind of like that. I just want to be like, hey, just greet the friends, the friends greet me, all right, we're out of here. There's no reason like Paul would and listing all those crazy names out and just gives me more to have to preach on. And no. So John is writing and, and to this Gaius that we honestly don't have a whole lot of understanding of who this person is. But that's the beautiful part about the church and of the New Testament. What we have to understand is what we do have wasn't the full picture that there's a lot of no names in the Bible that served faithfully the Lord, let it be a house church, a ministry, or even Paul. And sometimes they don't even name their names. And if they do, we actually don't have a whole lot of info on them. At most, maybe a verse or two. And I hope that's my life. That we, as a bunch of no names, for the work of God, that it's not about us, it's not about how our status and our name can be, but it's about serving the Lord because we already have a name that needs to be lifted up, the name of Jesus. Not my name, not your name, but the name of Jesus. And so if I roll into heaven and nobody knows my name except the Lord, well done, good and faithful servant, that's, that'd be a good day. And so John is writing and he's talking to this person that he considers almost like his child this beloved Gaius. And so we know he's a believer, that word beloved, meaning all who are personally experiencing the love of God. Is that how we would address letters to one another? Is that the kind of the, the tagline that we would use? I mean, imagine being in the foyer and I just keep walking up and, well, hello, beloved Jeff. Be like, you call me beloved one more time, I'm gonna throw hands at you. What are you calling beloved? But that's who we are, that we, as the body of Christ, individually, personally, experiencing the love of God, that that identity is the first and foremost in our lives. In John's writing, almost in a way to like, never lose sight of that, beloved Gaius. And he says, beloved, I'm praying that all is going well with you. And he's rejoicing. He says it multiple times that he's rejoicing that there's no greater joy than to hear that his children are walking in the truth. Now, as a father, you read that, and it's like, I hope I could say that one. I hope I can look over at my kids and rejoice that they are walking in the truth. But we know that it's not just a physical connection that he's talking about. It's not a biological thing, but he's talking about the family of God. So most likely, with that kind of verbiage, this is somebody that John is discipling, maybe even brought to the Lord. Like that's the connection when we talk about go and make disciples of all nations and what does it mean to disciple someone? It's like training a child. It's an, a better word, I think, for us to get a definition of discipleship is apprentice. That we are apprentices of Jesus. And because of that, we are called to have apprentices for us. And so Gaius would be looking at John and he would, he would serve him and learn from him as if an apprentice would in one of the trades, right? Like, I, I know nothing about woodworking, very little, except I don't want to lose any of these to a saw. Like, that's, I think that's rule number one, don't cut a finger off. I think that was shop class, and that's the only thing I learned. But if I wanted to learn into an apprentice, I would want to come under somebody that knows what they're doing, that'll show me how to use the different tools and to read a tape measure, right? Because if there's not a number by one of those little dots, I have no idea. 
And so we apprentice, we learn, and so this person that has that knowledge shares what they know so that one day they will grow up and be, have that same skill and trade. That's discipleship. And here's the kicker. We're all being discipled, and we're all discipling someone. But is it discipling for the Lord? Are we training up people to follow Jesus? Are we being trained up to follow Jesus? We're all being discipled. But what is discipling us? Who is discipling us? And who are we leading? Or what are we leading them to? Because it's all discipleship. But is it of the Lord? Are we showing those around us? Are we training those up that, hey, this is how we respond in situations as a Christian. This is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in different situations in your life. This is how you respond to God's working in your life. And so John is writing, and he's like, I'm rejoicing because you're walking in the truth. You are taking what you've learned and heard from me, and you're carrying it out. It's like what Paul said in, I think it's 2 Timothy 2.2. Take what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and entrust it to faithful men. There's four generations there. You know, the, the few times in, in my life that I've needed to have some evaluation of my work you know, as a pediatric nurse for seven, eight years before getting into ministry, and the clinic that I worked in had this very much uh, sink or swim type mentality, right? The best way to train is to do. And so like my first week there, I'm drawing blood off a four-week-old little baby girl that had a fever that was horribly sick. And the, the RN that was in charge looks at me like one week out of graduation, still wet behind the ears as a nurse, so I have no idea that I feel like I have any kind of confidence. And she says, yeah, you, you definitely have to get this stick because if you miss it, then we got to send them to mercy and it's not going to be good. Oh, thanks. Thanks for laying on the pressure. They really appreciated that. I, I would have thought like, hey, you can do it. We believe in you. No, we got that. Don't mess up right now because it could be really bad. <sighs> okay, here we go. Here we go. Mom's eyes turn real big. But the idea is when there's that evaluation, am I doing what I should be doing? Are you seeing in me what is required of me to be a good nurse? And there, there'd be the evaluations of that. Yes, you are, or no, you're not. The same thing in discipleship. That if people would look at our lives, those that are discipling us, do you see in me everything that you're supposed to see as a follower of Jesus? And John's writing, and he's looking at guys, and he's like, yes. I'm rejoicing that you haven't fallen away, you haven't taken on any kind of crazy theology or weird things, like you're walking in the truth. I'm rejoicing, like, you know, it's kind of like when you let go of the back of the bicycle seat for your kid and they smack a trash can, that's exciting. No, you let go and they're riding. They're able to handle themselves. So the first time I let go of my son or daughter and they start walking, you're rejoicing. Why? Because you're doing this on your own that you don't need my assistance anymore. You understand the fullness. You understand the importance of your walk with Christ, that you don't need to be spoon-fed anymore. It's a beautiful thing. And so John is just rejoicing that he's walking in the truth. And the question is, are we walking in the truth? Are we in our spiritual lives, in our faith in Jesus, are we walking in the truth or do we still need to be spoon-fed? Do we still need to be pampered and encouraged along? Would, would somebody walk into our lives and be like, yeah, the last time I left you, 
to say, okay, go and walk with the Lord, walk in this truth, would they find us and be like, I'm rejoicing in what I'm seeing in your life? Or they would say like, hey, Nick, we got got to talk about a couple things here. We're having some issues. Like you, I, I, I gave you a great plan of what it means to follow Jesus, and you're kind of, you're going off astray. You're, you're, something's going on here. And so it's going to take some time. It's going to be a process for us. And every one of us is a follower of Jesus. We're in that process. I love Philippians 2.12. Paul is writing and he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And so it's not just enough that we've prayed that prayer, that's well, not in scripture, and that we say we love Jesus. Now it's time, if we are saved by the blood of Jesus, we are saved by grace through faith. Now let this work out in your life. It's going to change who you are. It's going to change how you order food at McDonald's. It's going to change how you interact with people around you. It's going to change who I am as a husband and a father. It should absolutely change us. Why? Because we need to work this out. Yes, we are saved, but now let that change every aspect. Let it transform us to the fullness that God has for us. And so we need to work this salvation out with fear and trembling. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be some hard aspects to it. Like if your Christian walk is really easy, I would question, do you have a true, vibrant, zealous Christian walk? And so we, walking in truth, working out our salvation, like these are action words. Like we can't, it's not something that we just intellectually believe. It's something that is going to change and transform our normal everyday lives. If you go to Ephesians 4, I love how Paul writes it as he's writing to the church in Ephesus. Starting at the end of verse 21, chapter 4, he says, As the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. It's like the idea of just being soiled and covered in nasty, smelly, stinky clothes, right? Like I remember high school, middle school and high school. Middle schoolers smell, right? And they don't even know it. High schoolers smell and they know it. That's the only difference right there. And I remember those days. So I ran cross country. Yeah, I used to run. I know, it's a miracle. But I ran cross country and we, it was practice was always right after school. And so I just had gym clothes and that's what I ran in. Well, I wasn't really good at taking my clothes home and washing them so that the next day I didn't smell like a nasty foot. Nope. Next day I'd be like, oh, those are the same kind of clothes that I ran in yesterday. I was pouring in sweat. You'd get to Friday. I mean, the shirt just stood up on its own. I mean, it would do half the running all by itself. Like, it was nasty. And like, you'd get done and you could just smell yourself. That's why I ran so fast. Not because I wanted to be fast. I just want to get the shirt off. Like, I'm about to throw up. Like, you're running so hard, you're going to puke. No, do you smell me? This is bad. And you'd get done, and you'd take, like, put that off of the floor. Like, Ugh, I want to get away from that. Paul's saying that should be the same thing of our old life, that our deceitful desires and our coveting and the things that we used to love now are gross to us. This is nasty. Smells like a gym locker. He says, put that off. And to be renewed, verse 23, in the spirit of our minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so us walking in truth, 
where those that have discipled us and continue to disciple us, they're going to rejoice when they see us continuing to take off the old, the former manner of life, and continue to put on the new, right? It's kind of like when you, I remember being a kid, and you'd get new clothes, greatest feeling ever, right? Like, oh, I got new clothes for Christmas or my birthday, and you'd want to wear your favorite new clothes. Like, remember the first day of school, and you'd laid out all your clothes, right? And be like, I'm going to wear this and that. It, like, it, it took a week, right? Because you had a lot of people to impress here. First impression's always important. And you love putting on those new clothes, kind of, that's what we want to see in discipleship, right? Like, or if you haven't seen somebody in for a little bit, especially with like kids, like I'm really bad about that. Like maybe I don't see my nieces and nephews or cousins for a while, and it's been like a year and we come back and they went from here to there. It's like, what happened there? They've changed. Well, the same in our walk with the Lord, that if somebody was a part of Calvary, let's say for a few years, and they moved away, the job transferred, whatever it is, and let's say after a couple of years they came back, would they find us personally the exact same? They're like, wow, I've like really seen how you've grown in your walk with the Lord. Would they see us as a church and be like, oh, it's the same old Calvary. Don't care about the community. Just want to worry about what's inside the walls. No. Or are they going to see us grow and change? So each of us personally are always taking off the old and putting on the new that we're walking in this truth. And walking it implies that we're changing locations. That each of us, that's why we talk about a next step, that there for each of us, Jesus has a next step for us because he wants us walking in the truth. We can't stay where we are at and continue to walk in truth. He doesn't say stand in the truth. He says walk in the truth. And so in our lives, we need to get walking. And I know what you're thinking. This sounds like a lot of work, Nick. Yes. Yes, it is. It is a lot of work, but it's an important work. Because just because we're saved... Yeah, we're saved by grace, but that doesn't give us a license to be lazy. And there's a lot of churches with a lot of people that, I, I don't want to do that much walking. I don't want to do that kind of work. I just want to sit here. I want to be comfortable. I want to hear a good word, and I want to go home. I don't want to work this out, and it's laziness. And it's going to tell you right now, the Lord doesn't look kindly upon that. You think of in Matthew 25 when he's talking about the parable of the servants that they gave uh, money to. The two guys, they invest it. They go and put it to work. The last guy buries it and he does nothing. The first two that invested it and have put it to work, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. But what does he say to the guy that just buried it and did nothing? You wicked, slothful, lazy servants that God has given us this beautiful treasure of the gospel, that he has entrusted to us this gospel, and he has given us stewardship. He has given us to be his ambassadors. What are we going to do with it? Are we going to be good, faithful servants that are going to put this to work, not just in our own lives, but through our lives, or are we just going to hold on to it? Are we going to be this wicked, slothful servant? And our study in Colossians, if you remember, 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord, not for men, know that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So to work heartily means to accomplish from your soul. 
So whatever you do, whatever your occupation is, wherever you clock in at, that's your ministry. I hope you know that. And when you go home and you have your family around, that's just not, oh, this is where I can just be me. No, that's your ministry. Work this out. Everything that you do, work unto the Lord. It means to accomplish from the soul. I love that when you hear about like artists or musicians, they're like, oh, I put my soul into this music or into this work of art. Well, it should be the same way. So I'm going to pick on Lee Cribs because he's here and I can And he's far enough away that he can't hit me with one of his crutches. I love Lee. He works heartily. He puts his soul into training horses. And it's not for the horse's sake. He's using that as an opportunity of ministry with at-risk teens. And so wherever we are in ministry at, work heartily. Pour your soul into it. Don't be lazy in that. And it's going to be easy to want to be. I'm just tired. I don't want to do this. This is hard. I've had those conversations to myself, right? In the, in the uh, rear view mirror of my car, I pull in to the house and I've had a long day and I got to walk in and I know I'm going to get re- greeted by four kids, a wife and two dogs, and some are happy to see me, some are not so happy to see me. You know, it could go either way. And I'll look in the mirror and it's like, today was a hard day. I just want to go in and lay down. I just want to veg out. I just want to but I can't. Sometimes I win that battle. Sometimes I lose that battle. But the calling upon us is still there. Be holy, for I am holy. Work heartily unto the Lord. Why? Because we're receiving a reward for it. A lot of people ask that. Well, why do I need to work? Aren't I already saved? However, they ask the question in good grammar. I'm saved. Why do I need to work this out? Why does that matter? Don't I just want to get to heaven? Isn't that the end goal? No. The end goal wasn't about trying to reach a location. The end goal was about serving the Lord Jesus Christ, that he wants fruitful, uh, just fruit from our lives. He wants to see fruitfulness in us. And if you turn to Revelation 22, verse 12, you hear the Lord Jesus saying, hey, I'm coming soon. And what is he bringing with him? It says, I'm bringing my recompense, my reward with me to repay each one what he has done, good and bad. So yes, I am saved by grace through faith, but I want to work out. I want to walk in truth. Why? Because the Lord, as a good master, is rewarding his servants for what they've done. And you also have to understand that there can be a loss of rewards. And where does that loss of rewards come from? where we can get lazy, where we don't want to serve the Lord. I don't want to do that. I just want to walk into heaven. That was the end goal, was just to make it in. That was never the goal for Jesus. And so John's rejoicing that he sees this beloved child of his walking in the truth. And so he continues on. He says, well, beloved, it's a faithful thing that you do in all your efforts. So I'm going to read this passage and try to understand the concept. Like, what's the one topic that he's talking about? It's a faithful thing that you do in all of your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. So how do they express this love? And it's going to do well to send them off on their journey in a manner worthy of, the, of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these. What's the topic that John's talking about? finances. 
And I get it. Oh, here's another pastor talking about money. It was like one of the top three things that Jesus talked about. And so John is looking at Gaius, not just in how he is working out and walking in the truth and working out his own salvation, but he kind of gives us an example of what this looks like. Like what kind of work is one of the things that Gaius is doing? He's supporting the ministry. He's supporting those that are in ministry. And this is a faithful thing. And it's in all of his efforts, not just some of his efforts, all of his efforts. And this is how they're testifying. It's like, wow, guys, you really love God's people. You really love the bride. You really love the ministry of God because of how you are giving. And it, it's almost in a way that like, your giving is in a manner worthy of God. Like you're not giving to these brothers. You're giving unto the Lord as if he was the very one that was receiving this because in all honesty, he is. And we understand that these brothers, they're accepting nothing from the Gentiles, so they're fully dependent upon the Jews at this time. It says, therefore, we ought to support people like this. And when we support people like that, what does John say that we are? We're fellow workers with them. That we're right alongside them in the work that they are doing, just by a financial supporting of it. And so if you go to 2 Corinthians, if you would, chapter 9, one more page. Paul says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, but for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, right? Every time you say all, you should write that down. So all grace, all sufficiency, all things at all times, you may abound in every good work as it is written. He has distributed freely and he has given to the poor and his righteousness endures forever. So our financial giving to the support of the ministry of God is directly in response to what God has so freely and generously given us. See, we're not the ones taking the first step in giving unto the Lord in our transaction with him. No, he already freely gave. Everything that we do is always in response to him. And so this, this fellow worker of the truth, another way that you're walking in the truth is how do you handle your finances? Is it done in a biblical way? Are you doing it in a way that brings honor and worship to the Lord? And what we have to understand is, I love this line, God's work and this is the key, done God's way will never lack God's supply. See, Paul is saying there in 2 Corinthians that God loves a cheerful giver. It's not just if you give or you don't give. No, you can give with the wrong heart. You can serve with the wrong heart. You can do really good spiritual things with the wrong heart, and the Lord is not interested in those. He he wants it done his way. So a reluctant heart, a heart that is under compulsion, that's not a worshiping heart. And when we give, that's worship money. That's not a tithe or an offering. Those are the fancy Christianese words that we use. But this is an act of worship that we are supporting the ministry that God is doing. And this is worship money. And God's worship money is not a thing to be handled flippantly. Like you can ask the staff, like, 
one of the biggest banners that I continually talk about is us being good stewards of his worship money. This isn't, this isn't just what, oh yeah, I deserve this, I should, no, 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 this is, this is people on fixed incomes that love the Lord and trust him and give unto him. And for some reason, he's, he's called us faithful enough to steward over this. And so steward that well, because this is God's worship money. Don't take this flippantly with very little respect. Be very respectful and very reverent with his worship money. So in full pastoral authority, like if you didn't know, like I'm the guy, right? Let, let me just really exercise full pastoral authority. Please hear me in this. If you're giving, if your support of the ministry here, if it's not done with a worshiping, faithful, expectant to see God move type of heart, keep your money. And I mean that in all fullness. Do not give with a, a divided heart. Don't give with a heart under compulsion. Don't give with a reluctant heart. Give with a worshiping, faithful, Lord, I'm gonna see what you do in, with this. Because again, it's not about the amounts. Remember Jesus standing opposite of the treasury and he saw, you know, everybody just pouring in all of this money and then the poor widow that dropped in two copper coins. And what does he ask? Who gave more? It had nothing to do with the amount that actually went into the treasury, but it had to do with the amount that came out of the heart. I still believe God does miracles. And so if we just dump in two fish and five loaves, that's more than enough for our Lord. That he cares far more about our hearts than the actual amount that we would support in this. And this is the same thing that John is looking. He's like, this is faithful. Like, this is telling of your love. He doesn't say, wow, look at that large amount. You must love them a lot. Had nothing to do with that. It had to do with the heart of Gaius and supporting and the church that he was probably a part of that is supporting the brothers that they were doing in a manner worthy of God. And what we have to understand is God works through hearts, not through bank accounts. God works through hearts. And so we want to be faithful in all of our efforts as a testimony of our love to the supportive work of God. So much that he considers us co-laborers with him, that we're fellow workers of the truth. And so I just encourage you, you ask the Lord, you seek the Lord, you, what is right in your heart, but make sure that that heart is fully devoted to the Lord. Let it not be a reluctant heart. Let it not be a fearful heart. Because when we give with a full open heart unto the Lord, that's what he desires. Not sacrifice. He desires mercy from us. And so John continues on, and he gives us kind of some testimony of the truth. So we, we have Gaius who's walking in the truth. He's a fellow worker for the truth. And now there's some people that are some causing some issues, and he's got to drop the hammer on them, and we got to talk about what's going on in this church. And one of these guys is named Diotrephes, right? Don't name your kid that. You know, I'm like, oh, it's a biblical name. Not a good one. Not a good one. He'll get made fun of, and this guy wasn't a good, good person. And it sounds like he's a leader in, in the church to some context, right? Probably a life group leader. And it says, listen to what he says. He likes to put himself first. He doesn't acknowledge authority. 
He's talking wicked nonsense against us. He refuses to welcome the brothers, completely opposite of what Gaius is doing. He's supporting the brothers. And not only that, he's stopping others from doing it, and he puts them out of the church. Listen to the five sins that Diotrephes is dealing with. He's prideful. He's rebellious against authority. He's gossiping. He is not hospitable. Yes, that is a sin to not be hospitable. And he's divisive. And if you had to sum all of that up, throw all that in a kettle and give it a nice little stir and put it on low, what's the one word that you could pull out of that? John says, do not imitate evil. This is evil behavior. You know, a lot of times we think evil and we think of the massive murders and abortion and we think of these big evils that are going on. And yes, those are. But so is not being hospital hospitable to the brothers, not submitting yourself to spiritual authority in your life, not having humility, that's evilness. Because again, what's he say? Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Beloved, those who are personally experiencing the love of God, how can you personally experience the love of God and imitate the evil that is going on in, and again, this isn't on the outside of the church. This is the attack that's happening on the inside. This is the evil that's going to absolutely corrode the foundation of what the church is built upon. That we experience the love of God, but never walk it out in our everyday normal lives. That we have opportunity to be hospitable and support brothers, we're not going to do it. We have an opportunity to be humble and serve and submit ourselves under authority, we're not going to do it. That we're going to be divisive and we're going to separate. That is evil behavior, John would say. He says, don't imitate that. There's no place for this behavior in the truth of God and in the work of God. But he tells us to imitate good. Right? So the word imitate means to mimic, to follow. As a good little brother, I'm wonderful at that. I always used to mimic my brother. I would try to talk like he talked. I'd try to do what he did, and it drove him nuts, right? So the Lord's probably saying, all right, Nick, you're, that's, that's a good thing, but let's do it for good reasons. Mimic what is good. Don't mimic your brother. And as older brothers in here probably tell me, like, I just want to punch a little brother for that. But don't imitate that evil. Don't mimic that. Don't follow that evil. Mimic, imitate, follow what is good. That Greek word for good is agathos here, and it describes what originates from God and is empowered by him in our life through faith. Imitate, follow that. And it kind of goes back to that whole metaphysical attributes of God. Remember that whole big uh, uh, geek out session that we have? God is omnibenevolent. That, that is literally who he is, what, a thing that literally applies to who he is, meaning he's all good. That word omnibenevolence, that's where we get the word love from. And so almost interchangeably in the New Testament, the word love and good can be used almost, almost synonymously. And so when he's telling us to imitate good, he's like, imitate God who God is, personally experiencing that. Now let that flow out from you. Peter even says, be holy. We sang holy, holy, holy to God. Okay, be that same holiness then. The same holiness that God is, that's our standard. Well, Nick, that's impossible. True, 
But God's not going to lower the standard on what he's calling us to do. Be holy for I am holy. Imitate God. Ephesians 5, 1 to 2 says, be imitators of God as beloved children. It was a very humbling moment in my life when my own son says, I just want to be just like you. (laughs) Raise the bar, son. Raise the bar. But as beloved children, we want to be like our father. Be imitators of God. Follow who forgave you. Imitate him. Mimic Jesus. 1 Peter 2.12 says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That if we are walking in the truth and we're fellow workers with the truth, the testimony about us, we need to keep our conduct honorable. That when people try to speak against us, it won't stick. Like if somebody walks up and says, Oh man, I got to tell you something about Lee Cribs. You know what that son of a gun did? Let me tell you. I'll be like, that reputation doesn't stick. I don't believe you. Why? Because I know he's keeping his conduct honorable. And his wife just nudged him. You better, you better do what the preacher's saying up there, buddy. No. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul's writing, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So that puts another little wrench on it. Even Hebrews 13.7, this, this is very humbling as a leader. Hebrews 13.7 says, remember your leaders. Think of their way of life. Why? Imitate their faith. So even for me as a pastor, am I living a faith out that I would want my church to follow in? That's very, very sobering. And so we have another guy that's listed. We had uh, Diotrephes, not doing too, too hot, not doing too well right there. And then you have a Demetrius, and he's received a good testimony. That word would be, he's a good witness. And so when you bunch all these verses up, here's the question. If someone followed the example of our faith, and they also followed the gospel of Jesus Christ, would they end up at the same spot? That when we as fellow workers of the truth, us walking out and working out our salvation, could we look at those around us and say, hey, follow me as I'm following Christ? That if those that are following us, would they end up at the same spot? Would they find Jesus through our lives? Would we receive a good testimony? And so John's wrapping up this short little book, and he's letting us know, a faithful servant. So when we stand before the Lord and we want to hear good and faithful servant in just 15 verses, he goes, let me give you a top three things that are going to get you to that place. And here's the top three ways that you could disciple those around you, that you could say, just as Paul said to the Corinthians, hey, be imitators of me, mimic me, follow me, because I'm following Christ. A faithful servant works. A faithful servant serves. It's kind of where the name servant comes out of. A faithful servant gives and supports. And here's the kicker. What we're not saying is one or the other. Now I get it. Some of us, not as young as we used to. Maybe we don't have the talents we used to. Like, I can't sing. Sound like a moose getting hit by a Mack truck rolling over on Highway 54. And I know what you're saying. There's not even moose in Missouri. That's how bad it is. That's how bad it is. 
I would love to serve on a worship team and sing. I think that would be the coolest thing ever. The first time Andy even tried to hear me try to sing, his ears bled for three weeks. But that doesn't mean, even though that I can't be up here and sing, that there's not a place for me to serve and there's not a place for me to work for the gospel. And so we all have limitations. I don't have a voice. I get it. But God is big enough that each of us in our whatever restrictions that we'd have, even in the fullness of the body of Christ, there's a place for each of us to serve. We have to humbly be okay with somebody like an Andy looking at me and saying, maybe worship isn't your you know, leading worship. Maybe that's not the gift that God has for you. And that's okay. But a faithful servant works. And then the very thing that Jesus talked a lot about, our money. Money is not the root of all evil. That's not what the verse says. The love of money. See, money does wonderful things. Supports ministries, missionaries, supports the ministry that we have here. We don't sell anything. We don't sell t-shirts. We don't sell widgets. The 100% of the ministry that is able to move forward at Calvary is made possible by your giving. And so a faithful servant is going to give and support the ministry. And it's, and it's not always going to be out of a place of abundance either. You think of the Philippian church was very poor. And when they saw need, they increased their giving out of their poverty, not out of their abundance. And so a faithful servant works, a faithful servant gives and supports, and a faithful servant imitates Jesus. So going back to Diotrephes, we're going to be not prideful, humble. We're not going to be rebellious. We're going to be submissive to authorities in our life. We're not going to be gossiping in our words. We're going to be encouraging. Instead of not being hospitable, we're going to be open and very hospitable with our lives and the things that God has blessed us with. And we're not going to be divisive. We're going to be in unity. Us at Calvary, that is our plan to be good, faithful stewards of what God has given us. And so I challenge you, and I hope you have been challenged as much as I have. Where am I working, serving? Where am I supporting and giving? And where do I need to take my next step? Where do I need to be walking in truth? Where, where's that next thing to work out my salvation to be that faithful servant that the Lord expects of me and of you? So, Father, we come to you this morning. And I pray that as you put your hand upon us and pour out your Holy Spirit upon us, that you would capture our hearts, that you would reveal that area of our life where we need to walk in truth, where we have an opportunity to be a fellow worker for your truth, that you want to do a testimony, you want to do a work for the truth in our lives, Lord. And so whatever is causing us to hold that back from you, I pray, Lord, that you would loosen and release our grip of that. Let it be our own pride, sins of gossiping or being divisive, whatever it would be, Lord. Remove that from us, that we would walk in the fullness of the love and the truth that you have for us. Give us that kind of faith, Lord that we would be your hands, your feet, your heart to this world, that we would hear 
on that first day of eternity, standing before you, well done, good and faithful servant.